Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Bonjour, 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 and welcome to the Zwift Tour de France podcast episode 14. I'm Christophe Mallet, I'm your host for this morning, coming all the way from the Pyrenees. And what a stage we had. Let me first remind you that you can download this podcast or stream it from SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral. And you can also go on our website, uh, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral. And you can schedule a ride on Zwift with their website, zwift.com. But joining me in this podcast is Dev. Mackenzie, hey Dave. How you going? I am pumping again. You are pumping, okay. Tell me why. I think we have a French victory again and again in our hands. It's pretty good, isn't it, actually? Roman Bardet, it's, uh, he's a popular winner, obviously, for the obvious reasons too, but he moves up the general classification standings as well. So, good day for the French. Let's have a listen to Roman Bardet straight after the stage. It's a good, good feeling to, to win the stage too, and uh, really happy with that. Tomorrow it will be a really hard day to to control just 100 kilometers with some pretty hard climbs. So yeah, I expect a big reaction from Team Sky, and uh, sure they are really strong. And uh, I have to, to also to be at my best tomorrow. You asked that question uh, to him. He's just short of Bastille Day. That's true. To Bastille Day is today uh, in Australia. Bastille a worthy winner. Well, he buggered up though, didn't he? Did it on the wrong day, mate. Come on, like Australia Day. I don't win the day before Australia Day. I'd win on the day. <laughs> yeah, let's pick on him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm really, I'm really scraping the barrel now, aren't I? Really nitpicking. You're walking a very fine line, my yeah, man. <laughs> my dear friend. Yeah, yeah, I better be careful. I'm in your country. So, no, it was, it was impressive. It was really impressive. That steep section... He's not the type of guy I thought would win, to be honest, on that. I thought actually Dan Martin or a couple of the others, possibly even, uh, well, Aru, of course, and even Froome. Froome faulted, and, but A, timed it well. Can we say Froome cracked or just slightly faulted? Slightly faulted, slightly faulted, but he didn't throw a punch. That's what surprised me. He slightly faulted, but he didn't even throw one punch. So he's, he's human. They're not the Skybots after all, are they? They're human. But going above just Chris Froome, what can we say about Sky on this stage? Well, you know what is interesting about that? And I didn't realise until well after the stage finish, Mikko Lander went 18 seconds ahead of Froome on the stage. So it, it, you would have thought last night or this morning, pretty interesting team meeting, I would have thought. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Aru is a new yellow. Is that a surprise? No, not, not when you think of how the stage unfolded yesterday and they waited until that last steep section. I thought, well, this has played perfectly into Aru's hands. And he jumped first. He was eager. He probably could have waited a bit, but he just wasn't. I don't think, you know, Froome bluffed really well, didn't he? he? He had the poker face for as long as possible. They probably could have hit him earlier than that. But no, no surprise. But we, without that win, Aru only, only has six seconds ahead of Chris Froome. It could have been a lot more if he would have won that stage. But Bardet didn't let him uh, win that stage. No, that's it. That's it. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, what the good thing about it, though, regardless, is that now Bardet gets close. And when I say the good thing, again, I'll just... Oh, the very good thing. <laughs> not just the good thing, the very good yeah, thing. Yeah, the very good thing. But I'll reiterate, it's not like I'm against Sky. And I think for all the listeners... 
We just want a close contest. I want to see a close contest. We're in the industry of entertainment um, and, and where you and I sit and, and the TV and the print and everyone who covers this great bike race, it's called entertainment. So we want a close contest. So the good and great thing about that is that Bardet and Aru, well, Aru's gone over the top of Froome, but Bardet is closer even more than uh, before. So it just closes it right up. And again, I'll just keep saying it, it ain't over, folks. This is the closest anyone has been to Chris Froome this deep in the Tour de France of all of his three victories. So it's game on. And, I mean, we saw as well uh, something a bit untypical from Froome. He went to visit a couple of uh, camper vans and a couple of... See, the, see, see where, where was the barbecue? Uh, how was the barbecue going? But, uh, like, joke aside, that, that could have been dangerous. Yes, and I think, you know, uh, social media lit up, didn't it, big time? And I'll just... I'll, credit Matt Keenan with a quote because he said it's driver error it's driver error you don't wait for driver error race goes on they didn't crash you know they didn't have to launch an attack or whatever but the game the race is on they're on the climb so but does that say that uh, those guys bar they are are still slightly intimidated by by sky and from is that what we can read from it because they, they could have gone you're right he didn't crash he made a mistake that's yeah. a genuine race mistake. Yes, it is. It is. Um, you know what? When I, when I interviewed Bardet after the stage, just before I interviewed him, there was a question on that. And Bardet's answer was along the lines of, no, I don't like to attack in those situations. We see those sort of things happen. I don't like to attack on those situations, except when I'm going down Montduchat and Dan Martin and, and Richie Port crash. I just kept going. If How do you say gentleman in French? <laughs> gentleman? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Um... So, no, I don't, going back to your question, though, I don't think they're, they're intimidated by them. I think it was maybe a little bit of respect because Sky had set the pacemaking for that whole stage, pretty much. So would it, you, to flip the coin, it would have been a bit of a dog's act to attack him as soon as he loses it on a corner. How much is the earpiece played in that role? The team managers going, no, 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 you guys stay behind. Well... You know what? If, if, like I said to Mike Tomolaris, if he was if he was uh, team uh, director, he would have been screaming at the other end, attack, attack. So too would have our producer just quietly. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think much at all. I don't think much at all. No. Okay, but it was a great stage, though. Yeah, it was a great stage. In the end, it, it sort of took a while to hit its straps, but it was good. The break, the break was uh, you know significant. We thought the break would win the day at some stage. Steve Cummings had a big, he had a you know long range attack. He dropped all his breakaway companions, but he's going to have to try again because he's a specialist at it. But it just didn't quite pay off. Okay, we'll take a short break. You stay with us because we talk to, to Rob Arnold and uh, we'll talk about the next stage, the stage coming up tonight. Uh, so you stay with us. I might have some Serrano ham while you chat to Rob, and uh, we'll review the Serrano ham as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'll chat to Rob, and then we come back after this. From the virtual world, Zwift produces real-world results. Zwift employees recently put this to the test in Iceland at the Whale Cyclothon. With a team of nine, they went head-to-head with some of the top teams in the world and they won. Funny backstory to it is that to make the team, Zwift employees had a selection program where they all had to try out through competing in a series of workouts. Once selected, they then did their training primarily on Zwift as a means of really putting the product to the test. Learn more about Zwift and their team at Zwift.com today. And now in the podcast, I'm joined by Rob Arnold, and we're going to talk about the Pyrenees and what part he will play this year in the Tour de France. Hi, Rob. 
Hello, it's good to be back, and it's lovely to be in the Pyrenees. I love it. It's my favourite uh, range. I like the Pyrenees much more than the Alps. Do you know, everybody's telling me this. I'm an Alp sort of person, but I, I can be very, very convinced because this is stunning. Yeah, I, it's, it's a great spot. I mean, the start of uh, Stage 12, the first day in the Pyrenees of the tour in 2017... It was pouring and misty, but we were at the finish in Peragud and it was beautiful sunshine. It was glorious. It's, I mean, the, the mountain ranges are something I could talk about all day. I think that's what we're going to do today, isn't it? Absolutely. It's all about the mountains. Uh, let's talk about the Pyrenees and the role they play in this Tour de France and, and particularly this year as well, uh, because from now it's going to be up and down and up and down and up and down and it's starting from the Pyrenees. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting course. I think um, the zigzag uh, concept that uh, Christian Prudhomme dreamed up for this year was is, is an interesting concept where we, you know, zigzagged our way down from the north and we've ended up in the Pyrenees. Um, and uh, to be honest, I think um, it's, a, it's a good innovation. I like the way he designs his course, even if we have had five stage wins by one guy in, in the first 11 days. So. Historically, the Pyrenees have always been really tough. Of course, I mean, it's, it's a big feature of the tour, isn't it? That uh, if you look at, uh, for example, the Christian Prudhomme years, when the route really, the, the dynamic of the route really did begin to change, he took some gambles, like we saw 2007, a uh, stage finish at the Col d'Orbisque, which, which had never been done before. Then in 2012, there was the 100th anniversary of the Col de Tourmalet, and we saw Andy and Alberto going head-to-head, and uh, Andy got the the win that day and Alberto second and they, it was an interesting uh, dynamic that year um, but the Pyrenees historically it, it's such a big part of the tour it makes sense that they come back here um, it's almost a shame to only have two stages here this year but when we're trying to fit in five mountain massifs that's, uh, that's the, the way of the beast isn't it Traditionally, we go Pyrenees and Alps. That's what we're doing this year again. Have we ever been the other way, Alps and then Pyrenees? Oh, often. I mean, to be honest, it's been... Um, it used to be... My understanding, certainly when I began doing the Tour de France, it was clockwise one year and anti-clockwise the next. So it was just... Um, and, and effectively, that meant either the Pyrenees first or the Alps first and, and subsequent mountain ranges after that. But um, uh, you, we've had a few... Uh, tours in a row now where it's basically uh, anti-clockwise so um, Pyrenees first and Alps second that's what how it was last year it's how it is again this year and if I cast my mind back to 2015 yes we came to Pyrenees first as well so uh, Christian's thrown the, the the unwritten rule book out of the window and he just makes up his own uh Uh, his own courses and he considers a lot of different things there's a lot of interesting innovations beyond just summit finishes at Mont Ventoux Col d'Orbisque uh, Galibier uh, all sorts of things which he's done in recent years we saw as well because we're reaching the, mount, the proper mountain tops now so I'm saying the proper mountain tops because there's proper mountain stages that will feature on SBS but we see the climbs as being very important but the, the descent are as equally as important if not more Absolutely. I mean, it, it was well. It was the pivotal moment in stage nine, wasn't it? But that was always going to be the way when there was a descending finish in the Chambéry. So, uh, unfortunately, and we can lament it for as long as we like, but Richie's gone because of the descent, and and that's a great shame. And um, I don't need to sort of go over old territory, but um, it, the, the descents will play a role. Um, Obviously, it's uh, a little bit more uh, controlled when they know that there's still a mountain range or a mountain to climb at the finish, and so the, the dynamic of stage 12 will be entirely different to 13. And pardon me for using dynamic all of the time, but it just um, it's a word that sort of does sum up the way that things are unfolding here. You know, the, the, the 
the opportunity in the Pyrenees exists where you can do mountain after mountain, as we've seen in Stage 12. And it's, um, uh, there's such a wealth of roads around the area. I think it's lovely to come to the Pyrenees. You know, we've been here often. This is my 20th tour, and I... I don't haven't counted the number of mountain top finishes we've had in the Pyrenees, but it's you, you, there's a, a good selection of different summits. With all your experience, are you still amazed to see how many people are on the side of the road when you when we come up? It's funny, isn't it? It's like you the first couple of days in, in, in like in La Planche de Belfield or something, where you're driving up and you think, "Wow, oh, there's a lot of people," and then. By stage 12, I think you almost zone out, don't you? <laughs> you do drive past a lot of people. The odd thing is having them wave to you and you're sort of... They have no idea who you are and you're waving back uh, just sort of out of compulsion. But um, you do become a little bit immune. I, I think that I, I admire and respect the crowds because they come out when it's raining, when it's miserable, when it's windy and uncomfortable, when it's hot and, and, and the tar is sticky. They're still there, they're cheering, they're loving it, they're having a great time, the party atmosphere is excellent. The thing that has changed a lot in the time that I've, coming, I've come to the tour is that it used to be a lot of people just coming up with picnic tables and sitting by the side of the road and, and, and settling in for the day and waiting for the peloton. And... Very much so in the last 10, 15 years, there's been more and more bike riders coming up. And that sounds kind of obtuse. Maybe Australians don't get the concept, but really it wasn't that long ago where the vast majority of the audience was on the roadside weren't bike riders. They were drinking alcohol, they were smoking cigarettes, they were having a great party, and they were, you know, by the end of the day, they basically sort of rolled over into their tent and fell asleep and, and, and slept until the hangover was worn off. But these days, there's a lot of people coming up on bikes, a lot of people getting back down the mountain on their bikes. It's a lot quicker. Certainly, I've had some massively long traffic jams in the past, um, getting off mountains in the Pyrenees. It's much more... Um, It's much less manageable than the Alps. It's just the, the flow of the roads. They're often dead ends going to ski resorts. So, in other words, the, the traffic that used to be on these roads was immense. But that too has changed. They're not sending so many cars up the mountains. They're much more diligent with road closures. There's, um, a lot more planning has gone into it. And uh, thankfully, the days of sitting in the car until two in the morning, which I've done in 40-kilometre long traffic jams, they're, they're long gone. But uh, it's... It, It was a big feature of the tour and it's one of the reasons why working on the race was so tiring in the past. Don't jinx it. No, uh, yeah, I want to find some wood. There's no wood around here, alas, but... Uh, thanks, Rob. Thanks very much for having me. Sometimes you just can't get outside for a ride because it's either late at night or the weather is just horrible or you have other family commitments. The beauty of Zwift is you can Zwift at any time of day for however long you like. There's always a community of friendly cyclists and competitors waiting to take on the roads of Watopia or Richmond, where the World Championships were held in 2015. Perfect for the time-crunched athlete or new cyclist. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Tour de France podcast. It's now uh, time to have a look at what's coming up tonight on SBS. What's coming up tonight is another grilling stage, as if we didn't have enough for what we just had yesterday. This is going to go quite hard on the bodies. It's from Saint-Giron to Foix. Quite a tough stage. Yes. However, less tough but more dangerous than yesterday's stage. Decipher that. I mean... And the reason I say that is it's only 101 kilometres, shortest stage of the tour. So you think, oh, it can't be too bad. 
But guess what? There's three Category 1 climbs in 100 kilometres. How do you firstly fit three Category 1 climbs in 100 kilometres? So it is a dangerous stage, and what I mean by that... It's a dangerous stage for the GC guys. You see these long-range attacks potentially. So Team Sky, they have to be vigilant. And it's and it's probably what I said what yesterday or the day before. Chris Froome has to keep his eye on the prize. He can't let his guard down even for a second. If, if, it's, a, if it's a shorter stage, 100k compared to 214, 216, stuff we had in the past few weeks, does that mean it's going to be more explosive? Uh, because It's not because it's shorter than it's easier. No, that's right. You're right on the money. It's These ones are always straight out of the blocks and you, you see that in the long stages as well until that break is established but here you'll have every man and his dog wanting to get in that break of the day so it will be i expect it to be flat out all the way all the way from start to finish guys like contador like quintana we haven't spoken too much about them on the uh, on the podcast because well it was kittel and kittel and kittel and kittel and kittel times five yeah but can we see those guys having a go in a, in a sort of stage like this? Well, we should. The, 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 the answer is, or the question is, that we should see them having a go because they're out of it, really. For GC classification, I believe they're out of it. So, come on, guys, give, give, give the fans something. Um, it's, can I just rewind that for a second? It's brutal, isn't it? They're probably having a terrible, tough tour, and now I want them to go on the attack on a really tough 100-kilometre stage. But... If they want to, I guess, show their face at this year's Tour de France, that's what they need to do. Temperature will be a problem as well. Yes, it's uh, expected to be fairly warm in Foix. Uh, I used to live in, I spent a year in Toulouse, so not too far from Foix. Hot, hot summers, I remember that. And Foix, yeah, as I said, not far down the road. So it should be warm, but gee, we've had a little bit of everything this year, haven't we? So the keys, I'm wearing a pair of shorts tomorrow. Oh, mate, don't jump the gun. <laughs> don't jump the gun. It's radio, people don't care. Oh, you're jumping, you know, you French, you just learn, for, learn from the... Uh... It's not about the style. It's not about, like, I already have to think what, oh. shoe, what shoes I'm going to wear with this short, you know? Oh, see, I go for comfort these days. Five, six years ago, it was all about style, but I'm way part the... I'm losing hair. It's like, okay, go with comfort. It's in my DNA. Uh, let's talk about uh, Contador. We just touched on, on him. Uh, earlier on this week, I think he signed again for another year. We cannot already almost debate, is that the Tour too many? If he does another one next year, could that be the Tour too many all over again? I'm going to show my lack of uh, keeping my eye on the prize. Is that true, firstly? Yeah, it is. He signed for another year. But a big debate is, is he signing for another year to show the jersey at the Vuelta one more time next year? Is he going to do the tour? That's a big question. But, gee, is that a season too many already for Contador? You know what? If I was in his position... I don't know. There's, a, there's two ways to look at it. One is he'll milk it all the way to the station. Can you can you can you uh, can we criticise him for that? No, it's his life, and he, he's he's earned plenty of money. So does he need any more? Probably not. In in my from where I stand from, but he probably loves it, so he wants to continue. But in terms of performance, yes, maybe it is. And I like to see the greats like Alberto Contador. I, I think of him as a great. I'd like to see him retire at the top. So if he does continue on, I do, I hope that he wins another Grand Tour. Actually, uh, from experience, what, what makes you retire as a, as a cyclist, as a professional cyclist? What are the signs? Like, what were your signs for you to go, maybe it's time to, to give it up and start life 2.0? Uh, my signs were no team was offering me a decent contract. And I went, oh, and my wife sort of was, she'd been nudging me in the ribs for about six months. <laughs> she was offering you the contract. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, look, it's, it, 
in all seriousness, for me it was, and I think a lot of riders are the same, it's the mental side of it. I'd lost my will um, not to race. I enjoyed racing. I enjoyed travelling. I enjoyed riding my bike training. But I, I lost my nerve on descents. I lost my nerve in bunch sprints. I was a sprinter, or that was my strongest point as a rider. So I think when you lose that sort of real killer instinct, that's when you've got to start to think, am I done here? And, and I was. And, and, that, and I think that's where most riders sit. And, and don't you think Contador is already there? Jeez, well, I reckon at the moment, in this year's tour, you'd think he'd be, you know, he's just signed the ink and he's thinking, oh, have I made the right decision? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to question it. You have to question it. For a guy who won so much, so many times, and on the biggest, biggest stage, the grandest of them all at the Tour de France on three occasions, yeah, you'd have to question why continue. Okay, and in all seriousness, I know nothing about the wines in the area, but the Serrano, the prosciutto, the, 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 the ham here is Unreal. Shall we have some tonight? Oh, so you are. I tell you, you, do you know? I've got a soft spot for Italy. I, I've lived. I lived in Italy for quite a few years. And you reckon the prosciutto it's, it's, and the? I don't know if you can actually call it prosciutto. No, no, I don't think you can. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, I'm going to get hammered if I do. It's called Serrano, and it's a completely different product. It's a lot more fruity than prosciutto, Parma ham, San Daniel. Well, you know what I will give you? You're on the money because you, you talked about the food bowl a few days ago in the Dordon region. I think you're right. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, we stayed in um, Andorra a, a few years ago and I had the most mouth-watering serrano ham that I've ever had in my life. So I will give you that one. It, it is good. I just had the Serrano Grand Reserve. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Let's go get some. Yeah, but let me close this podcast first. Uh, so you've been listening to the episode 14 of the Zwift Tour de France podcast. It's been a pleasure to bring you this podcast on the top of the first Pyrenean climb. Tonight we head to Foix. You can uh, listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cycling central. You can also uh, download it or listen to it from our website, sbs.com.au slash cycling central. And you can, of course, uh, schedule a ride on our lovely sponsors, Zwift uh, on Zwift.com. This is it for now. On behalf of the whole team at SBS, I wish you a good morning and it's au revoir from the Pyrenees. Adam. Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today.